0: Turn in the Bible to Zechariah chapter 7. We took a break from the Minor Prophets last Sunday, but now we're back. We've been there, and today we will look at chapter 7. Zechariah is a Minor Prophet at the end of the Old Testament. The Old Testament ends with the Minor Prophets. We are just two books away from the New Testament. You have Zechariah, then Malachi, and then uh, the New Testament begins with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One of my favorite things to eat, and I like to eat a lot of stuff, but one of my favorite things to eat is uh, homemade biscuits and gravy. And we used to have a family here in the church, Jason and Michelle Fowler, and Michelle's passed away, but before she had passed away, she taught my wife how to make homemade biscuits and gravy. And now Val does that, and oh, I love it when she does, and I can eat a lot of those. I can eat probably four biscuits, whole biscuits for breakfast, and then... Eat another three or four for lunch and really, really just enjoy it. And uh, I remember one time Val made a whole bunch of biscuits and I told her to leave them out because I was going to eat some. And she left them out and I forgot to put them up. And it ended up being some time passing that uh, one of my daughters came and told me that they were hungry. I said, we got some biscuits here. Would you like one? They said, yeah, I like biscuits. So I gave her a biscuit and she tried to bite into it and it had gotten so hard that she couldn't eat it. And I said, well, you don't like biscuits? She said, no, I do like biscuits, but this one's too hard. And as you know, if you leave some food out for too long, it'll harden up like that, won't it? If it's not treated right and taken care of, something really good like a homemade butter biscuit can get so hard that you don't like it. I'm telling you here today, that same thing happens to hearts. I'm telling you, people like me or you who once were so in tune with God, connected to Him, in love with God, can get your heart hard. And next thing you know, you're kind of unaffected by the things of God. I wonder if you're here today thinking honestly. You used to be closer to God. You used to be more connected or committed. You used to be more moved by truth, songs, passion. And could you consider today that perhaps, like a biscuit that set out too long, your heart has hardened. The Bible teaches us That's a dangerous place to be in, and that if we do not address it, it will get harder and harder and harder. Perhaps you know of somebody where you've said before, They are so hard, you can't break them. And would you be warned today that that could possibly be your heart? And would you know that the response is, I want my heart to be soft? And would you be encouraged here this morning that God softens hearts, God can soften hearts, and that that is what we're wanting him to do today. So we're going to read in Zechariah chapter 7. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Chislev. Now the people of Bethel had sent Sherezer and Regem Melech, "'and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, "'saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts "'and the prophets, "'Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month "'as I have done for so many years?' "'Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, "'Say to all the people of the land and the priests, "'When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month "'and in the seventh for these 70 years, "'was it for me that you fasted?' And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities around her and the south and the low land were inhabited? And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts, as I called and they would not hear, so they called and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus, the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. We are finding, it seems, nearly every week that the minor prophets are so very good. You know, they're often overlooked. Many of us, before we started going through all the minor prophets, there are 12 and we're on the 11th one, so we're almost finished. But many of us would have been able to admit that we don't know much about the minor prophets, not really sure, don't know what Zechariah is about, don't know if Jesus or the Gospels or the Gospel can be found in the minor prophets. And yet, here we are today reading just a random, tucked away Zechariah, one chapter, chapter seven, here at the end of the Old Testament, and we think, wow, that's really good. May you be reminded here today that the Word of God truly is alive and well, active and living, powerful and true, and that if you will humble yourself to it, you will find it to be the very medicine that your heart needs. I think in some real sense, many of us, I would pray all of us, feel our heart softening even as we read that. But What happens every time the Word of God is read or studied we can quickly get past it and walk out of here and ignore it and see our heart hardening back. But right here in this moment, over these few minutes, as we are looking to what it says, we feel some softening. Perhaps the Holy Spirit, even right now, is dealing with you based off of what we read. It's a unique time here in the people of Israel. You know that they have been exiled, right? Right? They have been in captivity. The Babylonians have had them, but that's over with now. And God is now allowing them to come back into their land, and they need to rebuild the temple. It was about 70 years ago when the temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed. It had been uh, sieged, and they have been in captivity, but now they're coming back. And we just finished up those eight visions that God gave to Zechariah, And for the most part, those visions are good. They're, they're about the prosperity. They're about God is now restoring his people, restoring his covenant, keeping his promises, building them back. And they're moving into a land and they're, and they're, they're, they're wondering and seeking, it. are we really going to get back to what we were? And you remember that if you've been here from all the eight visions as God has given all of these different helpful, healthy, encouraging promises to them so that's where they're at they are moving in the direction of things getting better things are looking up they're sensing a sigh of relief okay God's back with us we know that he's leading us and it's one of those things where you can tell that things are looking better and that's what's happening if you know much, you know that it's been about 70 years. It's been 68 years to be precise since the temple had been destroyed and they're about two years away from the temple rebuild being completed. But Zechariah does us a big favor here and gives us a little bit more date. Look at chapter one. In the fourth year of King Darius. Okay, so it says right there at seven, one is the fourth year of King Darius. But if you look at chapter one, verse one, it says the second year of King Darius. If you look at chapter one, verse seven, it again says the second year of King Darius. So it's been about two years since God started speaking to Zechariah. We know that Zechariah is a contemporary of Haggai, the book that we studied right before this one, and he has told them to go and rebuild the temple. So they are two years in to rebuilding the temple. Things are going really well. They got God back, they got their relationship back, the enemies have been dealt with, and things are moving quite along. They're two years into it, and they're two years from it being finished. At least we know that, they don't necessarily know that, but they're two years from being finished, right? So it seems like progress is happening and then we get to this in the fourth year which means two years in verse two the people of Bethel sent a regime and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord They sent a group of people to go ask a question, and what I want to point out today are three different questions in this one chapter. The first question is from the people to God, and the next question would be, the next two questions are questions from God back to the people. God answers their question with a question. God answers their question with two questions. So they ask in verse three, should I weep and abstain in the fifth month? As I have done for so many years? The first question that they ask is Is that enough? Can I stop? Is that enough, God? Have I been faithful long enough? Have I been obedient long enough? Do I have to keep obeying? Do we have to keep doing what's right? Have I done enough? Is that enough? See, these people had been fasting and mourning because they had been attacked. Their relationship with God had been splintered. They had been judged, and they had been in exile. And the Bible doesn't teach us, listen, the Bible doesn't teach us to be a people that fast all the time 24-7, and we kind of know that because we don't do fasting a lot. But what had happened was they had set for themselves Several different fasts. Look there in uh, verse three; it mentions the fast of the fifth month. But look down to um, uh, t- t- look down to verse five. When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh month, right? And then you look over into chapter four and you read about a fast of the fourth month. And what had happened was, is they had created these fasts to help them remember that their relationship with God wasn't going well. This isn't crazy. We do these types of things too. You remember days when things have gone really wrong, right? You can remember when a loved one had died, or you can remember when you got into a really tragic uh, car accident, or you can remember when major things have happened, And this is what's happening. Let me read to you. The question here involved the keeping of certain Jewish fasts. In 7.3, they mentioned the fast of the fifth month. In 7.5, they mentioned the seventh month. In 8.19, there are two other fasts mentioned, the fourth and the tenth. All of these were related to the fall of Jerusalem. In the 10th month, Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem. In the 4th month, he penetrated the city. In the 5th month, the temple was burned down. And in the 7th month, Gedaliah, the Jewish governor, was assassinated, and they fled. For the past 68 years, the Jews had observed these dates as fasts. But now, with the temple going up and Jerusalem being rebuilt, this delegation wondered whether they should continue to observe these fasts. You see what happens? For 68 years, when everything was wrong and not looking good, they fasted and they fasted a lot. But now they're two years in to blessing and progress and they get a group of people together and send them to go speak to the priests and the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets and they say, can we stop? Is this enough? Have you ever asked that? Have you ever said, well, I I go to church this much and so I don't need to go this much or or I I do this much or I don't need to do any more or I give this much, I don't need to give any more but I'm nice to this neighbor, I don't know if I want to be nice to this neighbor or I helped that person, I don't know if I need to help that person. So have you ever asked before, can I stop? God, do I got to be loving to everybody? This is the question. The people of Israel who had been judged and disciplined because of their disobedience. God had turned his back on them and punished them not to break his covenant. He never did that. He was going to stay with it as we're going to see. And now as God is keeping his covenant and promises and bringing them back, they're just two years in and they ask, is that enough? You ever tried to do chores with your kids and ever tried to reward them with something? You ever seen them work for like one minute and ask if that was enough? And you had to explain to them like, no. You're not gonna do the minimum that is required in order to get the reward. It, it, it misses the whole point of trying to teach you work or commitment. And when they go to ask this question to God, it begins to reveal their heart. Are they doing it for the reward? Or are they doing it because they love God? This is such a touchy question. When we start asking, is that enough? Have I done enough, gone to church enough, read my Bible? When we start asking, have I loved enough? We're starting to reveal our heart getting at the why of what we do it. The why of what we're doing. The motive or reason or purpose behind it. This reveals the second question. They ask that question to God Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month? Do I have to keep fasting? Should I I still be sorry over this? Can I get over it? Can I forget that we disobeyed you and you allowed a nation to come and literally burn down the temple of God? Can I stop being sorrowful for that, God? What a question. Is that enough? Do I have to? And to that question, God speaks back in verse four and says, then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, Zechariah, say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh, for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? God asked back with the second question, why were you doing it? If you're doing it for me, then would you stop? If you're doing it to get something, then that's up to you if you want to stop. God hits right back to the motive. This is so revealing. He says, well, when you were doing it, was it for me? Then he asks this, and when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous. What's happened here is they're kind of admitting that their obedience to God is more for them than it is for God. They didn't realize it because they thought they were back in in prosperity, but they didn't realize it, but they're, they're exposing their selfish, sinful heart. God asks, well, why are you doing it? Why do you want to stop? Is it because you got your goal? Was your goal fruitful, faithful obedience? Or was it to get something? Was your obedience conditional? Was it to get something from God and then once you get it, you stop? God asks back with a question of why that begins to speak to their hearts. I want to ask you here today, do you think about the why of what you do? If we're not careful, doing something for a long time over and over again, let's say there's 52 Sundays in a year, So we come to church a lot, right? If we're not careful, then we can run into, we just do it. We just do it, right? We try to encourage each other to read our Bibles regularly and daily to grow in the Word of God. And if you do read your Bible often and consistently, then you find yourself just doing it and doing it and doing it. If you are a faithful giver to church, you find yourself regularly doing it. We have online giving now. Sometimes you may not even have to think about it. Does it become something to you where the why of why you're doing it has kind of been overlooked, ignored, forgotten? And so now you start asking questions like, can I stop? Is that enough? Or perhaps reasoning with does it matter? Doesn't really matter? Nobody notices? Doesn't affect me? Doesn't affect anything? Doesn't make a difference? They actually asked God, Do we have to keep fasting? God, do we have to keep living in a, our lives as a response to you and the heaviness of sin? Or can we stop doing that? And God asks back, well, why are you doing it? I imagine at that point that they were stunned. Can I remind you here today that it doesn't matter what you're doing if you're not doing it from the right heart? Would you allow the hardness of your heart today to be softened a little bit? That you may be going for the right things, but from the wrong heart and it's just as bad. It's still sin. This is why I want to warn us and all of us for us to be so careful with politics. Politics is so polarizing these days. If you watch politics, no matter what side you fall on, or what issue you're really upset about, you'll find a lot of people that are really worked up over it, but their heart's not in the right place. Perhaps a really good thing to be serious about, but coming from the wrong place. Christianity is the thing, and it's the only thing that causes us to care more about the heart. It's not that we don't care about the action, but we're concerned about the heart. And the heart then is able to supply the action from the right perspective, from the proper motive. They ask, can we stop? God asks, well, why are you doing it? Perhaps you've thought about we're going more in this direction, or more in this direction, or doing more of this, or less of this with your life, with your spiritual life, with your committed life, with your serving life, with your giving life, with your sacrificing life. And perhaps you've started to reason should I keep going? Should I stop? And perhaps it's because you've forgotten the whole why you started. You know, I'll give you a great example on this, and I know we use these illustrations all the time, but they're just so helpful, right? Anytime somebody that's been married for a couple years starts talking to a couple that's been married for several years, it's not hard to find a couple that says to them like, well, he's opening the car door for you now, but just give it a few years. He won't be doing that much longer, right? Oh, I remember those days. He used to get me flowers and surprise me with treats and all that, but but that won't last long, right? And you've all seen those conversations before, right? It raises the issue of why are you doing it? Or what changed? Were you, were, you, were you doing it in the beginning because you loved her? Why why did you open the car door for her or get her flowers back in the day? Well, because I loved her and just wanted to know how special she was. Okay, you don't anymore? Well, that's what God's saying. They say, can we stop fasting? And God says, Well, why, did, why were you doing it to begin with? Was it for me? And obviously, the answer to that should be yes. And if the answer is yes, well, you tell me if you need to fast and grow closer to me. What do we fast over anyway? We fast when our hearts are burdened over something so that we turn away from something that's important to us so that we can focus even more on God, which is more important to us. And God's saying, if you need to fast, man, fast. If you think you don't need to fast, well, maybe you don't need to fast. Why were you doing it? But if you're starting to ask, do I need to anymore, how much is enough, can I stop sort of thing, the issue is not right or wrong. The issue is, why were you doing it? We need to be able to get to the heart of the matter. And it's so important for church people especially, in a world that observes church people under a microscope like crazy, Those around us, those in your family, those at your workplace, those in our community, a small community like South Louisville, a smaller community like Fairdale, every person living in Fairdale is aware of the people that are attending church. They know it. And they watch our words and our moves. They watch our marriages. They watch our things. This is a true story. We had a family in our church this week talk to a neighbor across the street for the first time, they get to talking and he's, he's saying that he really wants to teach his kid about God. And they said, well, have you ever started going, ever, ever thought about going to church? And he said, are you kidding me? With all the hypocrites out there, do you think it would really help my kid understand God by them, by taking him to church? They said that. He said, so, oh, wow, well, okay, well. Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you just get some Bibles and start reading the Bible with him at home? He said, but if you ever do think about coming to church, which one would you think about going to? Because they didn't let him on which one they were going to. Of course, he's so big on the hypocrite thing that they were holding back. And the guy says, Well, then think about that church down there kind of beside the funeral home. They said, Oh, that's our church. I didn't know the guy. I didn't know the guy's name. I didn't know the kid's son. Didn't know the kid's son's name. I don't think I've ever seen him or met him. He says, well, I do know this. I do know the preachers up there at the baseball field all the time, and I've been watching him. That scared me. He ain't come yet. So what's he thinking? The Bible's wanting to remind us that what we do isn't as important as why we do it. Now, in case you take one sermon and try to run with it, that's not what Christians do. We've committed ourselves to the scriptures. We've committed ourselves to all of the word of God. We've committed ourselves to being here regularly so that there's a lot of things that we need to say. And we can't say everything that we need to say in one sermon. But you've also heard me preach lots of sermons where I say, hey, you can't always make it about the heart. You got to get to what you're doing too. So we are people that are about what you're doing, and we are people about why you're doing it. And when we get to the third question today, you're going to see that as well. But the question right here in the middle is, why are you doing it? One of the great theologians, Machen, says, if our doctrine be true, meaning what we believe is right, and our lives be wrong, how great is our sin?" Believe all the right things. Read your Bible every day. Be proud that you've done this right or you stand for this right or all of that sort of thing. But if your life is not wanting to be faithful behind it, it's just as much a sin. There are all types of sins and sin can be in lots of different directions. You can be the most upright person living your life and yet have things wrong in what you believe and still be a sinful mess. You can have so many things right in what you believe and and, and sound good on paper and affirm many good things and sign the proper documents and say all the right things but have a life that is inconsistent, and we're still a sinful mess. And here in this passage, you've got the people of God under the covenant of God in the promises of God being restored in the blessings of God, and they have the audacity to say, is that enough? Have we been Christian long enough? Been doing this for two years, God, and it's growing back. Uh, the, the temple's being built back. Can, can we stop fasting? And God just says, why are you fasting to begin? Was it for me? He points out that this has been his message all along. The why is the heart of the matter for the Christian, It is our desire to do everything we do for God. Ultimately, we're not doing it for our wife, we're not doing it for our kids, we're not doing it for our community, we're not doing it for our family. We have a bigger goal than that. The why to us is so very important. We are the type of people who regularly and often and consistently are looking at a heart check. Why are you doing that? Why are you this way? What's your motive? What's driving you? We understand, for the glory of God, because of Jesus That people would know him, that God would be worshipped, that God's worth would be seen. This is why we do everything we do. And when you are thinking about the why, it will almost automatically cause you to check yourself on what you're doing and what you're not doing. But once you get away and forget and drift away and your heart gets hardened to the why of the matter, then you can find yourself not living the way you want to. And that's what he asks here. But then he comes the third time. He doesn't even ask a question here, it's instructive. But I give it to you as the third question. He asks, Well, what's real? If you've got God's people coming back into God's place and they're fasting, and they're then they're trying to obey and they're remembering the covenants and God's blessing them when you've got all that going on. But God raises the question of why are you doing it? It eventually raises the question to us, well, what's real? I mean, what's better? Let's be realistic. What's better, a person that is loving their neighbor but not necessarily following the word of God? Or somebody that's in church saying they follow the word of God but not loving their neighbor, which is better? The answer's neither. Neither. And see, if you're not staying in tune with the Word of God, you've been having those discussions in your head. I'll tell you one that happens all the time in a community like South Louisville. Listen to me. I'll tell you one that happens all the time in a community like South Louisville. You got some kind of snub, snobbish people that are always in church. You kind of don't really like the way they are. They're not real loving. And those people are kind of proud on how churchy they are. And you got some other people that say they're Christian that really aren't that committed as they should be. And what goes on in the mindsets of people like that is thinking, well, I ain't committed to church as much as them, but I'm more faithful to just loving and being helpful and looking like a good person than they are. And the other person says, well, I mean, I'm not able to do as much as them because I'm always committed to church. And you get this reasoning going on in your mind. Weighing out what you do, not weighing out the why. And God asked the question of why. And so for help us, to help us get clarity, God then speaks up again to finish out the chapter. And he asked, what is real? And listen to what he says. Verse 8. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts. I'm thankful for this. God asked them, why are you doing it to begin with? And he didn't stop there. He knows that probably broke them down. He didn't stop there. He now tells them, here's what should flow out of the why. If you get the why right, here's what the what should look like. If you understand for God, because of God, through Jesus, for Jesus, if you understand that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and that now your life is hidden with Christ, that you are a follower of him, that Christ is your life, if you understand that, you've got the why of life. You know for the glory of God. You know it, you know it, you know it. Now God tells us the what. Verse nine, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments. In other words, let's be honest about this. Be honest with yourself. Be honest before God. Make an accurate, true, serious judgment about where your heart is. Be honest before God. Be honest about your sins. Be honest about your repentance. Be honest about your need for him. Render true judgments. Look at this. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Folks, there is never a time ever in Christianity, in this world, in this life, no matter what the issue is, where we are not showing kindness and mercy toward one another, ever. This is what the people of God are, kind and merciful to others. There's never a time for you to justify it not being that way, kindness and mercy. And then he gives us four categories of people And if you like to pride yourself on being an upright conservative that believes all the right things, then brace yourself because God has a word for you this morning. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. Four categories of people that when you come to God with all the right things that you believe, God quickly steps back and says, what about these? How's your Christianity helping this? And I'd love it, I mean we're not gonna take time today, but I'd love to have a service real soon where we have an open mic right here and if you don't wanna stand up, I'll pass the mic around and let's please hear from all of us good godly people how you have been doing with the widows, and the fatherless and the sojourner and the poor. I'd love to hear some testimonies about how you're doing with that and how much you've thought about that. We've got to be careful when we call ourselves Christians. We start patting ourselves on the back and yet we've not been following Christ. We start saying things like, can I stop? Have I done enough? God answers back with why. He gives us that gut check. He asks how hard our heart is. And in doing that, he doesn't leave us right there to scramble or to make excuses. He comes right back. He doesn't want us to leave going, well, I got the why right. He wants us to look now to what it says. Render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. In other words, God is saying that when God changes the heart of an individual and causes them to know Christ and love God, he immediately causes them to care for certain categories of people. He causes us to be mindful of certain categories of people. Widows are people that Christians are wanting certain to help. Fatherless, orphans, are people that Christians are searching to help. Sojourners, people that are on the move, on the go, trying to get somewhere, trying to find something, are people that Christians are wanting to help. The poor are people that Christians are wanting to help. You read the Old Testament, you read the New Testament, and you see this time and time again. And then to cap that off, he says, let none of you Devise evil against another in your heart. That's God's answer to their question of, "Can we start fasting?" Oh, wouldn't the religious part? Listen, wouldn't the religious person? Wouldn't the person that's a Christian in Louisville, Kentucky, would have loved for God to say, "Well." If you wanna stop fasting, you can. I mean, you've been fasting enough and you're really not expected to fast all the time. You know, the point of fasting is really for you to get focused on God. And if you've been fasting, okay, what I would suggest is maybe take a break from fasting for a little bit and then maybe get back to fasting. Wouldn't that have been a neat little answer that somebody like me or you would have given to how much do we have to fast and should we keep fasting? But that's not what God does. Can we stop I mean, for 68 years, we've been fasting in the fourth month, the fifth month, the ninth month, the tenth month. We've been fasting like crazy, God, forever, and finally, we're getting the blessing back. Can we stop? Enough's enough. And God says, well, why were you doing it in the first place? Was it for me? And as they're left reeling like, oh, man, now he's checking my heart. Then he says, render true judgments. Where's the kindness? Where's the mercy? What about these people? Widows, fatherless, sojourners, poor. What about a heart that starts to devise evil towards others? That's not us. All of the life of the Christian is to flow out of how God is to you. In every way that God has treated you, that's what flows out to those around us. So you think about have you been a widow? Have you been fatherless? Have you been a sojourner? Have you been poor? Physically, literally, spiritually, have you been those things? Absolutely, yes, we all have, we all are. And how is God to us in that regard? God says that's what we should be going forward. So that's his answer. But then look at verse 11. But they refused to pay attention. They turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears That they might not hear. So God gives this great answer. It's an answer that I like. It's a hard one to hear, but it's a good one. I'm glad we're studying Zechariah. Here we are today learning from it. I think it's good for us. We think, wow, it's a good answer. But they didn't. They turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears. Why? Well, you know the answer to that. Verse 12, they made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by spirit through the former prophets. They intentionally made themselves not hear it because in hearing it, it started to soften them. And so guess what happens? I'm going to tune it out because if I'm not hearing it, I don't have to be affected by it. I don't have to deal with it. I don't have to literally say, am I gonna obey or am I gonna disobey? Am I gonna drift toward, am I gonna make some changes? Am I gonna start thinking about what my life looks like to the poor? Am I gonna start thinking about what am I doing for the sake of the sojourner? Or Josh, stop, let's hurry and get past it. I don't wanna hear it anymore. Do we want this so we can go? That's what they did. They put their hands in their ears, they put their headphones on, and they said, I don't wanna hear it, why? Because they don't want to deal with what God wants them to deal with. They don't want God softening up their heart that they might care about people. They don't want to become more and more and more like God. And what happened in turn, because they rejected the word of God, is their hearts got harder. Now let me say something. If you don't have a consistent commitment in your life to read the word of God and hear the word of God, your heart gets harder. You used to be more sensitive to the things of God and now you're not. There are all sorts of things going on in our lives that are uh, causing us to drift away from God and the, the world is wanting us to be more and more and more like them. All of us have friends that are not Christians and we spend time with and they are hoping, oh they're hoping for you to be a little bit more like them. They're wanting you to talk like them. They're wanting you to cuss like them. They're wanting you to act like them. They're wanting to have too many drinks like them. They're wanting your life to reflect their lives. Because when your life is a witness to Christ, it does something to them. And if they can get you to not be a witness to Christ, then it doesn't bother them. And God says that that happens in us before it happens there. Our relationship with Christ, we start to tune him out. We don't listen. We've gotten far away from what the truth is. We're no longer thinking about the why of what we do because we've not been in the word. All we're doing is thinking about the what of what we do and we've not been dealing with God. And Christianity is not what we do, but it's why we do what we do. We follow Christ. Our eyes are on him, our lives are directed to him. We are listening to him. And that is a constant relationship of I've got work to do. I need to seek forgiveness. Oh, God help me. I need to apologize here. Here Here's some areas in my life that I need to work on. I need to be changing and changing and changing and changing more for the glory of God. But that happens through his word. And then on top of all of that, it says they had. A diamond hard heart. Can you imagine having just been disciplined and God allows the enemy to destroy your temple? Finally, after all the visions and all of that, through all the prophets and all the messages, God is finally restoring you and you're two years into it. You ask, Can we stop? God answers you with the why. God answers you with render true judgments, and your answer to God again is, "I ain't trying to hear it." And when He talks to me like that, it just makes me stressed out, gives me anxiety to hear how I should be. So I ain't listening. I just let my heart get hard. I'm just gonna stay my own lane, do it the way I did it, do it the way my dad did it, do it the way they've always done it, do it the way those before me have done it, and I'm just gonna do it that way. And it's a hard heart. And so then God comes with his, one of the most honest statements in all of scripture, verse 13, he's angry, and he says this, I called, and they would not hear, so they called, and I would not hear. That's an honest statement from God. If you aren't listening to God, God says there, he ain't listening to you. So he says to them. And the result of that now will be that they're gonna suffer some more. Now, in the context of the whole thing, that's what I'm saying, it's gonna be important for you to be here next week because chapter eight says, even with them being this way, God's gonna overcome it, he's gonna push through, and he's gonna keep working in them. So you can't read chapter seven alone. We don't walk out of here all thinking that it's the end of all good news. It's not. Because you and I know that all of God's plans and promises are now gonna come through fulfillment through Christ. And since we're near the end of the Old Testament, that means we're getting closer to the coming of Christ. And as we see, listen, as we see in the Old Testament people of Israel a continual hard-heartedness that looks like it's not sure if it can listen to God, they listen to God, they don't listen to God, they struggle over the why of it, we're about to see in the new covenant through Christ that God is about to change their hearts so that God is actually going to make people like First Baptist Church of Fairdale where they want to obey God. They hear God's truth and they want that. And so it is in the life of every person like you or like me, when we get to a passage like this, where in all humility we should say, that sounds like me. There are times in my life where I've wanted to ignore the word of God, ignore the ways of God, and I've wanted to do it my way. And it is there, right there, why I need Jesus. Why I need a savior. We know that Christ died for our sins, so that we would be brought to God and that we would be forgiven. And it is through the forgiveness of sins that you and I come into a right relationship with God. And when we know that God is our Father and that we are loved by God and our sins are forgiven, we are now living by faith in Christ. Meaning every day, every moment, we're trusting in Him. We look, we believe, we need Him. And it's through that need that we get Him. May it never be that your heart's gotten hard. May it never be and when we can understand very clearly like a biscuit that's set out too long, it's just gotten hard. May it never be that, that that is us. May it never be that we're the people who think. I've gotten away from the thing that softens my heart. I've gotten away from the thing that gets me focused on God. May it never be that we've gotten away from looking to Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for Zechariah 7. And the reminder in scripture that everything we do is not how much do we do it, how much should we pray, how much should we fast, but rather the why. And the why, Father, will drive our motive And then we have an unlimited ability to live for you. But Father, we will be a mess ourselves until we've realized that need. Father, we pray now that you would work in us to set us on Jesus. Father, thank you for him. In his name we pray, amen.